Chariot Developer News, episode number 100. 100! You know what we do for that, Jeff? What do we do, Ken? We do this. There we ah, are. We success. are at 100. Now we're a morning show. Hey! <laughs> weather for today is cloudy and moist. Um, Dev News number 100 for Monday, 6-15-2015. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Jeff Lebonsky. And we are here to talk Dev News. Well, first things first, we're going to start a new segment in here. Kind of semi-started last week, which is announcements for local Philadelphia area events. And so uh, we'll just start up here. I'm going to be at Liberty JS doing an Angular JS Beginners Workshop. It starts at 10 o'clock over by 1230 in downtown Philly. That'll be on this Saturday, the 20th. And you'll find that at libertyjs.com. Agile Philly has two events. June 18th, they have one in Stratford, PA, which is west of Philly, called Exploratory Testing for Mobile Devices. On June 24th, they have an Agile Transitions meeting down in Center City, Philadelphia. Cocoa Heads, a user group for all things Apple, I whatever, including the watch, I guess. Uh, June 18th, monthly meeting in Center City, Philly. June 20th is Side Project Saturday. Sounds great. Yes, this is the suburbs edition, so you people out in the west... You don't have any excuses at King of Prussia. And we have Side Project Saturday downtown on June 27th. We are sponsoring that event. Also, Code for Philly has three workshops, 137, 138, and 139. 137's in Old City, Philly. 138 is in West Philadelphia. Oh, I'm sorry, the Old City is June 16th. West Philadelphia is June 24th. And the one in Old City, again, is on June 30th. We can find that information out on our blog post. And Geo Philly, for Geo Maps and such, has a local artist discussing maps as inspiration. That is happening today on Monday, which I don't think you'll actually get to because it may take a while to publish this. Uh, but if there's luck, that'll be in Old City today. Yeah, they're big uh, open street map folks. Cool. Geo Philly. Philly IoT Professionals, Internet of Things, is, has an Internet of Things showcase on June 18th in West Philadelphia. Philly Jug has a big meeting on June 24th, WSO2 Identity Server, and Contributing Back to an Open Source Project. That's in Stratford, PA. Philly New Technology on the 17th, Sports and Tech, a prelude. We're sponsoring that. That's in downtown. The Philly Python User Group, or PUG, has a June project night on June 16th. That's tomorrow in West Philadelphia. Philly Linux Users Group has one coming up tonight, I guess, X2Go in Malvern, PA. Software as a Craft, Philadelphia, uh, June 30th, monthly meetup in Center City, Philadelphia. Uh, and then we've got Valley Forge meetup in June 23rd. They're talking about Paxos, continuing the discussion. I guess they started off with the last meeting in King of Prussia, PA. Paxos is very, very neat. What is Paxos? Uh, Paxos is a distributed uh, algorithm for things and stuff. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to get too I'm, far I'm putting into you totally it. on but, the spot. But basically, every time you hear about something going through split brain problems or not converging to a single point solution, uh, usually the answer is you should have used Paxos. Ah, awesome. So, All right. Well, so let's start off with our news items. We scour the internet for interesting things that we will eventually completely read. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> yes. Pico Lisp. Uh, I found a PDF article here from April 15, 2015 from Raman Gopalan. Um, sorry for the name mash there. Volunteer free software programmer for Simple Machines Italy. He has an abstract here for reviving Lisp for smaller programmable machines. From what I remember, Lisp was being used for microcontrollers a long time ago. I 
I think so. I think I remember bumping into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember reading it. That's as far as I ever got with it. Um, in his paper abstract here, it says, Lisp is the second oldest high-level programming language, the first one being Fortran, and it's known for its association with AI. Pico Lisp on Risk Machines. And then he talks about, basically, it can't be directly compiled for a 32-bit machine. There's some issues with it, and it looks like they're basically focusing on trying to get it working on these small microcontrollers, which should be interesting. So if you happen to be in that Venn diagram of people who like parentheses and people who like hardware and you are interested in this, go check out the article. If, if your nine and zero keys are worn down to nubs, uh, <laughs> you, you, may be, you may be interested in this. It's so, kind of, you know, everything that's old is new again. I mean, since yeah. basically I think your calculator has the same amount of processing power as a pretty decent microcomputer in the late, late 70s, early 80s. True. Easy. Uh, you know, there's really no reason not to put on distributed uh, multi-user Fortran on said calculator mm. at some point in the future. Now, um, June 11th, there was an article on OpenSSL.org, an advisory, another security advisory, about some vulnerabilities. So I know Jeff and I were talking briefly about a little of this. This is this logjam thing. I know we might have mentioned it before, but let's just kind of recap. So what is logjam? Like just like in the Big Lebowski, uh, logjamming is uh, basically a way to... We had, remember everybody had that whole fun thing with ITAR and export level crypto back in the, the 2000s where they were basically prosecuting everybody known to, uh, you know, over here, over the sun about anything that has decent encryption. And so they had this wonderful 40-bit export grade encryption that you could export legally. And anything over uh, 40 bits was illegal. Uh, it's the same the as states. Same as yeah. shipping a nuclear weapon to Iran, you would go directly to jail. And uh, <laughs> the founder of PGP uh, did actually. Oh. Uh, Zimmerman was jailed on export crypto. Really? Yeah. Uh, and then that whole Second Amendment thing happened, and people were printing up the PGP core on t-shirts, and ha ha ha, and all that other fun counterculture stuff that went on. Uh, <clears throat> but because of that old export crypto, again, if you've ever set up Apache and messed with any of the certs and doing uh, like cert chains and stuff like that, knowing which CBCs and block ciphers and encryption stuff is a giant mess. Yes. But some web, web clients still need 40-bit export, so it's usually kind of creeps in there. Uh, so this vulnerability allows you to attack, I f- think it's the Diffie-Hellman key exchange. Don't quote me on this. Uh, but yeah, you basically punt 128 or 256-bit encryption down to 40, and then 40 is nothing. You can crack that basically by looking at it sideways. <laughs> um, and uh, ta-da, suddenly everybody's VPN and uh, SSH and SSL connections are now uh, basically practicable by the NSA. Lovely. Yeah, so people are estimating this as the number one entry point for the NSA to crack hard crypto. Now, so it says here for open SSL users, 1.02 users should upgrade to 1.0.2b. 1.0.1 users should upgrade to 1.0.1n. So that would fix the man-in-the-middle logjam. And then there's another one in here, malformed EC parameters cause infinite loop uh, with a, another severity moderate. And it seems like the same patches would fix those. And clearly, I will not understand the math here. It says, when processing an ECP parameter structure, structure OpenSSL enters an infinite loop if the curve specified is over a specifically malformed binary polynomial field. I think we've all been there at least once or twice. <laughs> I know I have. Well, you know, and math. Okay, and done. So anyway, um, we'll post a link to this. If you happen to be a web admin and you're not under a rock, um, great. You probably know about this, but in case you don't, there it is. There's some money to be made here. I wonder how many Docker containers are going to remain vulnerable. Oh, yes, like we talked about last time. A very good Mm. callback. That was good. Um, TypeSafe, our buddies in Scala. 
partners uh, and training and, and such, they are changing their name. However, they have not changed their name yet because they're open sourcing the name change. I like this angle here. They have decided to find a new name for themselves. This is jacksenter.com is the website this is in over the next two months and with it change its image as the Scala Company. So they're asking for the community to help. The link we post to uh, goes to Mark Brewer's CEO post about this and uh, they're going to kind of let people pick a name. Hmm. Um, Megatype. I like type safe. It works. And it basically says what it is. How about untyped unsafe? Um, oh, Monad would probably be. Monad, the company. Monad? Monadium. Mo Motrinad. I don't know. Anyway, so the bottom line is uh, they need a name. They would like to get some help with it, and you can help. So go ahead. Next, I have this calling this fizz buzz your way to walking trees at night and crossing the towers of Hanoi, Batman. Y Combinator has a one of the a continuing and never-ending list of comments on Hacker News here. It says, why 37 Signals doesn't hire programmers based on brain teasers. And so there's a blog post there, and it talks about the fact that they're kind of useless because in the real world, you actually have manuals and references and time to think and all that kind of stuff. And there's a great back and forth. So let's talk about brain teaser puzzles. I know we'll I, probably even differ on this, but go ahead. I'm not a big fan of them at all. Okay, in good. All then we don't differ. <laughs> no, no, actually, trying to find a candidate who is good is hard. Just, very, very hard. And just actually, in the beginning, yeah. Some of the the, uh, the research coming out, especially Google's been doing some mea culpas lately about how it's basically no better than noise. Right. And so you might as well just hire on a Gaussian model and be done with it and walk <laughs> away. And I think the trick is really being able to let people go if they're not good later on. But being able to weed them out is really kind of tough. That is always hard, yeah. I know we spend a lot of time in our interviewing process trying to get people qualified up front. I thought Chariot's interview process was hard but fair. Right. But Google's was weird. I, Even, did, I did a Google's interview, and that was, that was a little weird. Was it a, a Towers Hanoi kind of thing? Like, you're in a ship. It was six days long. You've got a Tic Tac, a $1.50, and no vending machine. Open up the hatch. Now, my weirdest one was uh, they asked me a question about DNS, and I asked them if they could, you know, bind nine or Active Directory, and they didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> they go, what? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> There you go, Google. Um, anyway, so it's, it's kind of fun. We, we read through uh, – I read through some of the blog articles, and it's – I'm sorry, the entries here. And there are a lot of people kind of, you know, talking about – different kinds of strange problems they were given, you know, and, and I think the guy, if I remember the original article was talking about doing like a Towers of Hanoi or something like that. And he said, really, is this what you want me to do right now? Like from memory? And he, he did solve it, but they rejected him because the solution wasn't elegant. And he's like, okay, the hell with this, you know, for, for the interview you went to. I forget if it was Google or somebody else, but it was someone else that he interviewed with, and that's what he ran into. Someone else had an interesting comment here. Take-home puzzles, as opposed to in-person whiteboard tests, weed out people who don't really like to program and or can't finish things. This is a useful filter. Um, now, again, then you look at it and go, well, again, it's hard to find people. First of all, they could hand that to their buddy to solve. This is, this is the wrong. That, in 2009, yeah. Right. In, in 2015, nah. Right. Nah. If I was somebody gave me a take-home problem and the place was not amazing, amazingly amazing, filled Cut with it. amazing things, Drop I, it. I'd walk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, the debate continues forever on this, but uh, oh, yeah. we're curious. Let's let's uh, if you have any feedback about some of your stories or, you know, situations you were in where you were interviewed and a code test was kind of weird. Share them with us. Uh, you could tweet to us if you want it at TechCast. That also goes to the dev news stuff. And if you email TechCastFeedback at ChariotSolutions.com, if you'd rather send a long form thing, we'd love to hear from you. All right. Facebook open sourced Infer, their static analysis tool. For Android iOS. Yeah. Uh, just 
quite nice and happy. Uh, so Facebook's kind of contributing back to the whole static analysis, which I think is still woefully underused. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, there's that big button in IntelliJ, and I feel like we really don't hit it as much as we ought to as yeah. programmers. Uh, so static analysis, I always thought was a fantastic way of from back from the lint days all the way forward. Uh, but another, uh, you know, another arrow in the quiver, as it were, uh, to help you find terrible, terrible, horrible things that you have written is always a good thing. So um, uh, it's um, nice that it's open source, too. So you can get to poke around with it. And uh, if, you've, if you're into that kind of thing and, uh, and see what it does. That's very cool. So I'm watching the video here. They have a little animated GIF video, I guess, or whatever it is, showing the interaction with the command line on a Java app, which I'm kind of surprised that Facebook touches Java. Oh, the like Android side. It's the Android. mobile side oh, of things. Of course. So they yeah. had that whole native native Derp. spat later, you know, Somehow a while brain. ago. And they're, they're doing something where maybe we'll talk about that next one. With, yep, let's uh, do that. Facebook is doing some fun stuff with uh, with native applications on mobile. Uh, thought-provoking error of the week. Why don't you take this one? Oh, yeah, I'll take this one. So this is just something to, to put in your pipe and uh, and smoke a little bit of. Uh, so this comes uh, via a, a highly regarded pillar in the tech community, my wife. Hey. Uh, who had a, a fantastic error, and this is a raise your hand. If the, this is just to make your eyes cross. So she was doing a, a rolling <laughs> upgrade of PeopleSoft, uh, which is a non-trivial exercise. No, yeah, and uh, you know, very large leaps directly into mind. Um, and un- <laughs> you know, unable to be automated is another phrase that leaps into mind. Uh, so the Oracle 12C client for Windows 64-bit, if you attempt to install it on a hard drive that has too much free space, it will fail silently. And it'll actually say the uh, the number of files bootstrapped for the JRE is zero. Uh, so the, the only solution is to shrink your disk or download a whole bunch of movies and fill it up a little bit. <laughs> Un- completely undocumented. Just one of those fun things that uh, wow. somebody somewhere rolled over an int. Yes. And um, always uh, keep your bug sniffing hat on. And that's one of the weird things. Like, I love I love good bugs. I'm like a truffle pig with bugs. I get down there, get right in there. And I, I, I can sniff a bug from a mile away. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, so uh, This keep, is the case for having only one number type. This is a case for just calling the, the darn operating system, you know, free space. Some, uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, some, somebody rant. messed up pretty good there. Yes, so, rant. Yeah. Rant. Um, oh, you have a journal article. Okay. Okay, journal article of the week. And this is going to potentially blow everybody's mind, myself included, because I'm a very simple, simple man. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things I think we as developers kind of lose sight of is that we, we stand on the uh, the insteps of giants, really, basically. Um, we love you guys, by the we, way. We do. We do. Uh, but hardcore computer science is still all around us. I, keep, mm-hmm. I try to keep myself abreast of some of these things. Uh, got a cup, you know, subscribe to a couple journals. And it's neat because it has lots of fun words. Uh, that I don't know any meaning about, but math. Um, just to, to to broaden your horizons a bit, uh, there's a fun article that I read uh, last week uh, from the Journal of the ACM uh, in their learning theory subcategory called "Finding Correlations in Subquadratic Time with Applications to Learning Parities in the Closest Pair Problem" by G. Valian at Stanford, uh, who is a smart guy. And where this comes in handy is is uh, Basically, you're Big O. Everybody loves talking about Big O in interview questions. There's right. a little bit of a callback there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those fun little articles where we're chipping away at the, the great might of Big O. And this guy reduced this search space from a polynomial, from quadratic time to, uh, to subquadratic, which is a big thing in large data sets. Particularly this, and they're going to get a couple of people's ears to perk up. If you run large data sets to find out which terms are closely correlated in those data sets, so you're doing a search versus a large document, this is directly applicable. 
And if you're doing stuff with, say, more than a megabyte of data, uh, now your runtime is dropped by a significant amount. Uh, so all of you Elasticsearch guys might kind of get a kick out of this, or large document guys. Just to kind of keep abreast, there is a pulse out there, and this will slowly but surely percolate downwards into some of the search routines with binary uh, vectors. But this is directly applicable to your uh, being able to search for things on Google, basically. Wow. Um, so they're basically really cutting the time way down. Yeah, it went from quadratic to just under subquadratic, which is, you know, hey, for large data sets, you're talking about a significant, it's a decent amount of time. But it's right. nice seeing that, that that line gets moved forward just a little bit every single time, and we all reap the benefits. Right. Uh, so I highly recommend it. It's actually downloadable on Stanford University. Website. If you take a look for uh, for G Valiant, you'll you'll bump into it. Um, okay, yeah, we'll post a link to it. I'll, I'll yeah, we'll find post that. Yeah, we'll post a link to it. Awesome, so, it's pretty neat actually. So I always get a kick out of some of these things. Yeah, it's great. Interesting. Um, okay, correction. I am correcting myself from last week. The uh, Windows Server 2003 end of life is actually coming up. It's just under a month away. I was kind of made the. I, I should have mentioned it, but hey, a month. <laughs> a, I, I think I implied that it was basically happening tomorrow or something like that. You still have about 20-some days, and if you have that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, you probably haven't begun yet. Um, so so yes. there you go. And also, if you were listening to this a month later, too late. Um, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> All right, and let's see next. Dooku 2.0. Yeah, tinfoil um, hat department. Yes. Um, yeah, so <laughs> this, this is a fun thing. Um, I, I highly recommend everybody who has got an inkling towards security to, to take a look at the actual write-up by McAfee on this because the Dooku guys were kind of scary a number of years ago. What it's Dooku like a hacking group or something? Uh, yeah, it's the the code name of the mal the malware. Oh, okay. Um, so it's believed to be an Iranian advanced persistent threat. Okay. Um, so Dooku came out and raised all sorts of heck. And uh, we can say heck on the radio, right? That's a terrible term. Okay. All, all sorts of mayhem. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Hullabaloo. And then they went silent. And uh, so now they're back with a vengeance. They actually attacked and, and pwned McAfee Ooh. and penetrated their corporate network, which is a bold and risky move. Yeah. Uh, but, and they were found out, but it's actually kind of neat to read about all of the zero days that were orchestrated and how they got through. And then once they penetrated, how they erected command and control and then did network analysis and then began moving where they wanted to be. The, I think the end game was basically to put in backdoors inside of McAfee's antivirus products. Ooh, uh, wow. So pretty snazzy, but uh, this is a good idea for if you want to get a good glimpse of an advanced persistent threat, mm -hmm. this is a pretty good example. And there is nothing that will save you from one of these guys. Yeah. So I think there was some uh, buffer overflows in true type fonts that kind of helped that one go through. Or that might have been Dooku 1, but uh, yeah, some scary stuff. Uh, more tinfoil we've, hat. We've crashed. Now we have uh, more tinfoil hat noise. I didn't have any tinfoil, so no that's the closest I That's as close as well. Paper. You can, you, like, I'm not taking off my helmet for the likes of you, Ken. <laughs> um, another one in the tinfoil hat brigade. Uh, so if you or anyone that you know of has ever applied for a security clearance with our friend, the United States federal government, uh, they filled out a 127-page questionnaire uh, called the Form 186, which basically has everything about you that you have ever done forever. Yes. And who has that now? China. China. That's so not good. Every 186 ever written. Ever. That is a huge, terrible exploit. Did I hear that that was not even stored in encrypted form? They're That's not what saying. I thought I heard. They're not saying, but it's basically every NSA agent, every FBI, everybody in the military... 
that's horrifically yeah, bad. There's a 127 page dossier now of everybody who's got a military record or a, a top secret clearance. Uh, it's now basically been held by China. So looking forward to everybody in our intelligence community suddenly winning the Chinese lottery and click here to collect. Yeah. Uh, keep your eye out on that stuff. <laughs> yes. And that's a, a big story to AP.org. We'll post a link to that as well. It, that it's is a, it's massive. everywhere. Everybody's carrying yeah, that story. Right. Exactly. Jeez, Omanic. Um, um, okay. The last fun one, yep, uh, Crypto Wall, our favorite uh, local. Oh, there, oh, there we go. A little more tinfoil. Yes. Um, shiny side out, guys. Well, that's right. <laughs> um, so Crypto Walls are everybody's favorite encrypting hard drive malware. Uh, actually, my neighbor fell victim of that. She had Windows XP. Oh, right. And got drive-by advertised, and they dropped Crypto Wall on her PC. Oh, jeez. Um, so poof. Uh, and there is no actual known cure. Um, what, what happens when you get crypto walled? They, they, every uh, doc, Excel file, image, everything on your hard drive, they encrypt with symmetric. Uh, it, it's basically, they PGP it and they keep the private key. Is this where they extort you and they try to get money out of yeah, you? Yeah, it's, it's like 500 or $1,000. And then if you don't pay up in 10 days, they delete the private key and you're gone. And you're done. Yeah. Uh, so actually, a lot of police departments fall for this. And so they, they pay up rather than having to go and, you know, because... <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, backups do not equal, you know, raid people. Everybody needs backups. Yeah, uh, really, seriously. But now this is penetrating through uh, resumes. So they're attacking HR departments. Oh, and lovely. There's a resume, and the resume has a link, and the link goes to a website, and the website has a zip file, and the zip file has a screensaver, and then the screensaver destroys your computer. Oh, my God. So, yeah, long leap for the technologically informed. Uh, not so long leap for your HR department. So let people know yeah. if you're actively recruiting or click things on the Internet uh, to not do anything fundamentally stupid like that. Oh, my yeah. So anyone who sends you a resume could be sending you this. You'll see it because it's a giant link. Uh, and they're, they're hiding behind seven or eight different levels of redirects right, right now. But it's going to a Google Doc, which opens up something else, which opens up something else. And then there's a malicious payload. You know, I think right now, um, and, it, and maybe Google can decode some of this in their Gmail. I don't know. But like anybody who's using a Mac with unprotected nothing against their email client and that kind of stuff. You know, you say Macs are impenetrable. I guess this would really only still work on a Windows machine, yeah, right? It's, right now, it's a Windows only kind of deal. Because it's a boot sector kind of thing. Yeah, but but most enterprises run Windows almost exclusively. Right. So, not us. <laughs> please don't make crypto wall work on app. Apple, please. It, it, it's going to come eventually. Yeah, you know it is. All yeah. right. Well, that's it for the dev news for this week for the hundredth episode, which I can't believe we actually hit. And it's just the numbers. So who the hell cares? But scrutiny. Typesafe's new scrutiny. Name. Scrutiny. That's my favorite Scala error. Oh, scrutiny. Yeah, E E. Yes, E E. Scrutiny. Yes. I like that. We saw that last week. Yes, we yes. did. Excellent. All mm. right. Well, let's scrutinize this. And uh, you could go to the website, uh, chariotsolutions.com slash devnews. There you'll find devnews100, which will have all the posts for all of the articles we talked about and the PDFs and all the fun stuff. And if you want to leave us feedback, again, it's at TechCast. Or you can do Chariot Solutions. If you email us at techcastfeedback at chariotsolutions.com, you can also get to us that way. So for the 100th episode of the Dev News, I'm Ken Ripple. I'm Jeff Lebonsky. And we will see you soon.